I, I'm drawn to riddles. Are, are anybody else like riddles? I, I like riddles. And, uh, you know, kind of the, the cornier the better. I know that surprises you that I like corny things, but... Uh, but riddles are, are kind of cool, and I thought that um, I'd share a couple of my favorites with you this morning, uh, just to kind of keep you awake a little bit. You know, the lights are dim, and uh, we had big breakfast this morning, and, and rather than having everybody stand up and do like 25 jumping jacks and 50 push-ups, uh, let me kind of get some endorphins going with, uh, so here's a couple of my favorite riddles. Um, uh, why was the geologist's wife unhappy? Anybody know the answer to that? She felt that he took her for granted. Yeah, it's like that, yeah. Hey, they get better, trust me. Uh, here, here's another one. Um, where do butterflies sleep? On caterpillars. Yeah, all right. All right, I promise you this is the last one. Uh, what is the sheep's favorite type of chocolate? Yeah, just chocolate? No, it's the Hershey Baja. Okay, all right, so... Hey, um, some would say that Jesus talked in riddles. You know, if you, if you read the Gospels, if you, if you look into the, the teachings of Jesus, some would say, hey, Jesus taught in riddles. Yeah, I mean, some of the stuff that, that he taught us was, was quite interesting. He told uh, the crowds that the meek would inherit the earth. And he said that, um, you know, if you want to be first in life, life you really needed to be last. And, and what about uh, the one thing that he said that was real big riddle that people just never understood, and that was that, that, the, that the temple would be destroyed but in three days it would be rebuilt. I mean, he's talking about you know, the, the, the spiritual body, not the physical uh, Jewish temple that was there. So, so you know, riddles and things like that. So some of the things that Jesus says uh, kind of makes us pause for a little bit and, and ask some questions. And I, and I think one of the questions that, that I get asked a lot is, can I trust God? Can I trust God? And uh, maybe there's some of you in the room today that, that are asking that question. Maybe you're, you're kind of um, sur- uh, going through some stuff in your mind and you're not real sure what the next direction might be and you're asking yourself, can I trust God? And uh, so where does that come from? And, and I wanna take us in John's gospel um, this morning and, and I wanna uh, look a little bit about what Jesus said that might have caught the disciples a little off guard and, and why maybe they weren't sure whether he could be trusted or not. So let me start with uh, John 16. Um, in a little while, this is Jesus speaking, in a little while, you'll see me no more. And then after a little while, you'll see me. I mean, think about that. You know, it's kind of like the magicians, now you see him, now you don't kind of thing. And, and for the disciples and, and for uh, modern day followers, I mean, the, the, the point is it, it, either Jesus is credible and Jesus is with us, or, or Jesus isn't credible and Jesus isn't with us. And the disciples were trying their best to make sure that especially in those final days as Jesus was preparing his journey to Jerusalem to the cross, they were trying to make sure that what he was saying was trusted, that they could trust him with the information that was there. Now, odds are that uh, most of us in this room this morning, we're trusting God for something. We're trusting God uh, to give us something in life. We're, we're trusting God to, to change us. We're, we're, we're trusting God to, to change someone else. We're, uh, we're trusting God to change our circumstance. And, and we're trusting God that, that the one thing that we don't wanna face in life or, or a couple things that we don't wanna face in life, we're, we're trusting God that, that somehow God will heal us through those kind of things. Well, it's one thing to trust God, and it's one thing to trust God in, in life, but it's another uh, to, to trust him in everything. 
And that's, that's where we want to be today. And that's, that's this collision point is we're in this series of Collide. And this morning, I want to talk about what Jesus has to say about trust, but, but how we live in a world that, that really isn't built on trust anymore. We live in a world that, that is really a lot of deception and how those two things collide and how we can find the truth. So trusting in God, um, folks, that's a decision. We have to decide, am I gonna trust God or am I not gonna trust God? And I wanna encourage you this morning that if you're someone who is um, dealing with a challenge in life, if you're someone who, who feels like your life just isn't where it ought to be or, or it could be better but you're just having challenges or, or every step forward you take, you, know, you think like there's 10 steps to go backwards, let me encourage you to step out in faith and to trust God. And our experiences of life teach us, believe it or not, that we can trust God more and more through the experiences in life in which we have. Well, let's go back to uh, what John's writing here. And, and uh, John says that, that some of his disciples said to one another, what does Jesus mean by this? You know, that, that phrase, in a little while, you'll see me no more, and then after a while, you'll, well, you'll see me. And, and then he goes on, he says, he, he discloses, because I'm gonna go to the Father, he says. Now, they, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while, John writes, and they said, we don't understand this. And we don't understand what it means. Have, have you ever talked to somebody, and, and it sounds almost like a riddle that you just can't decipher, that you can't understand? Or someone's trying to give you some advice or direction, and you go like, I still don't understand what we're supposed to do. Even though the person might be speaking clearly, or they think they're speaking clearly, you might not be hearing it that way. So does this kind of sound familiar, that, that there are times in our lives where we might be saying, God, I, I just don't understand, I, I don't know, I, can I trust you in, in the things that are here? Now, now, how many times have you found yourself asking, you know, God, how long will, and then a blank, fill in the blank, how long will blank last? You ever found yourself asking that question? How long will blank last, or, or when will blank, fill in the blank, when will blank, when will that pass over me? When, when will I be beyond that? When will I not have to worry about blank anymore uh, with the things that, that I'm dealing with? See, here's the challenge. God, God never promised, to, um, here's a phrase, God never promised us a rose garden life, okay? God said that, that we would have challenges in our lives, and, and we've got to be reminded of that. We've got to be um, at a point where we really understand that life is full of those challenges. To think that life as a Christian means that, that we never have an issue, that, that we never have a problem. Folks, that's a totally misguided perception. There's no truth to that at all because even as believers, even in the, in the life of Jesus Christ, we see that, that life wasn't rosy all the time. In fact, Paul said to his spiritual son, Timothy, Paul was looking at Timothy as Timothy was helping him plant churches and, and more importantly, Timothy was part of the cleanup crew that would come in after Paul planted a church. Timothy would have to come in and reassure and make sure that sound doctrine was being taught and all those kind of things. And there were times that Timothy was very discouraged about how quickly people were falling away from the faith. And Paul said, Timothy, you must endure hardships as a soldier for Christ. And that's really the, the, the words that we have to take today is, is that we have to endure those kinds of things. First of all, we, we have to remember that we live in a fallen world. 
You know, sometimes churches and pastors, they don't like to talk about sin. They want to just talk about, you know, the, the, the things that make you warm and fuzzy and all that. But we got to go back. And, and the fact is, is that God created a, a perfect world, but, but all of a sudden, choices got made, and God gave us the ability to choose. And so those choices made corrupted the world. It marred the world. And it began to bring things of imperfection into our world. So whenever you and I are confronted with things that aren't perfect, this is why, because, because it happened in the original fall so to speak, of creation. It threw a wrench into our relationships. We no longer are in harmony with one another. We have bitterness toward each other. We have competitiveness. We have the same kind of relationship with God because things aren't perfect anymore. And because of that, and we live in a fallen world, it brought sin into the world and suffering. And it brought in all those things in which uh, we feel that, that is just compounded in, in where we stand in the world today and in our own lives. All of these things begin to happen. And we've got to realize that we live in a defective, we live in an abnormal world. But the good news is, is that, that God doesn't want it to stay abnormal. God doesn't want it to stay imperfect. And that's why God came in the flesh as Jesus Christ. And that's why God came into the world. And, and God began to share the good news through Jesus. And, and God began through Jesus' life to demonstrate how pain can be healed and how lives can be healed and how relationships can be restored. And more importantly, God used himself through Jesus in flesh to come and reconcile the broken world back to himself. And God's ultimate plan is, is that everything is reconciled back to him in a perfect fashion. Of course, uh, the scripture gives us reasons about you know, uh, seeing these things, and we want these changes, and we want this goodness to come quickly, but, it, but it's just not gonna happen overnight. On the contrary, it, it's, it takes time. And in that time in which we live, you and I, we have to learn how to navigate these things. We have to navigate the groanings, as Paul would say, the groanings that come in our lives. We have to navigate the disappointments that come in our lives. We have to navigate the things that cause us to wonder, can I trust God in the midst of all of these things? You know, the scripture promises us in the last book, Revelation, it says very clearly that the day will come that there will be no more pain, no more crying, that all tears will be wiped, that basically all of humanity will be reconciled and the goodness of God will prevail once again. And this is the hope that we have. Men and women of the scriptures that we read about and, and the lives of some of the, of the great people of the faith, like, like David. David. David began to uh, disclose himself in the Psalms of God, and, and we could see that life wasn't rosy in the life of King David, and yet scriptures tell us that David had a heart after God. We know that Job, an expression in our wisdom literature of the Bible, Job is, is confronted with, with tragedy after tragedy after tragedy, and the anguish of an incredible nature comes, and in the midst of that, he still loves and calls out to God. Hannah, Hannah wants a child so badly and, and can't, and her womb is, is not producing that, and she agonizes in that, and she calls out to God. And what we learn in all of these stories, and even more that I can't mention, we learn that, that when we are challenged in life and when things aren't going the way that we had hoped, yes, we can trust God, but more importantly, we can cry out to God. We can cry out to God, and we can say, Lord, God, help me through this. Help me through this time, this pain. Help me through this uncertainty. Help me through this anguish, whatever it is, and God will be there. John continues to write that, that uh, Jesus is speaking. He says, I tell you the truth that, that you will weep and you will mourn while the world rejoices. That you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. 
And then he gives a great um, word picture. He says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. And so it is with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Joy and happiness are two different things, and we've talked about that here in in worship. Happiness is kind of an emotion. Happiness is a circumstance. Things can make us happy, but things can also make us unhappy. But joy is something that comes from God. Joy is, is that peace that comes from God that is in us that cannot be taken away. And joy is what we have to constantly tap into. John continues, Jesus saying, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace and in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome. I have overcome the world. The word peace that Jesus uses here is a great word. In fact, uh, the, the, the Greek word that's used here is, is the same word that he used when he called for peace as he got into the boat with the disciples on that storm on the Galilean Sea. It's a, it's, a, it's a word that calls for encouragement. It's a word that calls for them to be strong. It's a word that promotes that kind of feeling. So as Christians, we, we need to understand that, that as long as we live in this world, we are gonna be hard-pressed by things. There will be challenges that will come in our lives where where we will feel like there's no way out. We will feel the pressures of what life brings. We'll feel at times uh, the weight of life and its circumstances on our chest like thousands of pounds of bricks. And we'll learn as we move through that that despite the challenges that come, that Jesus' words, I have overcome the world, will make the difference. You know, that confidence that we get in these words of Jesus, I have overcome the world, is the same kind of confidence that should allow us to look at any circumstance in our life kind of in a, in a, in a natural way to know that no matter what happens, God will get us through it, that God will lead us through it, and that despite the painful circumstances that may come, that God will somehow use that painful circumstance to bring a new vision into our life to bring a renewed sense of connection, the hope that will come. Some of you might be thinking this morning, Bob, you don't understand. You know, I, you don't understand what I'm going through. I've been through a lot and, and, and I, I can't, you know, deal with these words of Jesus, take heart, take heart. But remember this, Jesus said that it's not up for us to solve these things. You and I cannot overcome the world, but in the one who has, Jesus Christ, we can overcome all things. So how can I trust God? How, how can we literally do that? How can we trust God more? You know, in my opinion, we need to move away from having faith in Jesus to having the faith of Jesus. Did you catch that? The faith of Jesus. When we live into the faith of Jesus, we begin to see our lives transformed in a greater way. The writer of the Proverbs says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything that you do, everywhere that you go. God's the one to keep you on track. But the question still is, is God unfair? Can God be trusted? And how do we deal with this? A writer and and Catholic priest, he's deceased now, Henry Nouwen, um, great spiritualist, um, Nouwen writes about a, a circumstance of about a family that he met in Paraguay. And that family um, had a situation that happened to them. 
and uh, Nowen went and stayed with them and, and was there during this uh, time of their life. And uh, the father was, was a medical doctor, and, and the medical doc, as a medical doctor, he had lots of influence in their little community in Paraguay. And while he was there, he began to rant and rave about the military junta that was empowered in control of, of the country of Paraguay. And uh, he was beginning to, to outline all of their atrocities against humanity, and he was exposing a lot of the sins that they were committing. Well, this military junta did not like what this doctor was doing, but instead of going after the doctor, what they did was they went and they kidnapped his son and they arrested his teenage son, and they tortured this little boy, this young boy, to death. And they thought that this would be a way to stop this father. This would be a way to squelch the community. This would be a way so that everyone would fall back in line and do exactly what they said. As the townspeople gathered for his son's funeral, they wanted to use the funeral as an opportunity, as a way of witnessing outwards and to start riots in the streets against the military junta and the government. But the doctor, the father, he said that there's a different way to do this. And what he did was he brought his son's body back and he, he, he prepared it and, and left it exactly the way that it was as he found it. His son's body was stripped, it was naked. You could see the exposed cigarette burns. You could see the marks of electrocution. And instead of having his son embalmed and placed into a coffin, this father did the opposite. He took one of the mattresses from the prison in which his son died, and he laid it out and placed his son on that. And as the crowds walked by, they could see with their eyes exactly what was coming. They filed past the corpse, and, and with the strongest protests imaginable, this father was able to display the most grotesque injustice ever that could have been. You know, when you think about what this father did and when you think about the, the point he was trying to make, isn't that what God did at Calvary? I mean, uh, it's, it's God who, who ought to suffer, not you and me, is, is oftentimes the words that we say when, when we're going through stuff. Well, let somebody else suffer. Well, let God take it away. Let God suffer, we'll shout. And we argue against God's unfairness in life. But Philip Yancey, who, who is another writer, he wrote the book, uh, Where is God When It Hurts? Yancey puts it this way. He says, the curse word expresses it all. God be damned, he writes. And on that day, God was damned. The cross that held Jesus' body, naked and marked with scars, exposed all the violence and all the injustice of this world. And at once, the cross revealed what kind of world we have and what kind of God that we have. We have a world of gross unfairness, but we have a God of sacrificial love. You see, that's the point. The point is, is that, that you and I, as we face these challenges, as we, as we bicker about you know, the, the stuff that happens in our life, the unfairness of things that go, as we question whether or not we can trust God and trust the faith in the midst of those things, we need to remember that, that none of us, I'm not as a pastor, you're not either, none of us are exempt from tragedy and disappointment. God himself was not exempt. And God ultimately paid the price in Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus dem demonstrates to us that there's no immunity, that there's no way out of the unfairness that comes, but rather Jesus shows us that there's a way through it and that with Christ we can conquer all things. You see, just as Good Friday uh, demolished the instinctive belief that, that this life is supposed to be fair, Easter Sunday followed us with a startling discovery. It startled us with a, what I'll call a riddle of the universe. And that riddle is that out of the darkness, a bright light shone and Christ came back into the world. 
You see, life is, is always gonna have its moments. I mean, there are always gonna be some, something. Something will always happen in our life. And when that does, we need to be reminded of, of Jesus in Gethsemane. There he is agonizing in prayer. And as the writer of the gospel says, that, that you could see that, that he was praying with such intensity, such intensity and, and such uh, power that blood began to come on his forehead as he sweat droplets of blood. Jesus prayed a prayer, knowing fully well that the cross awaited him, knowing fully well the humiliation that awaited him, knowing fully well the scourging that awaited him. And Jesus still prayed the prayer, Father, take this cup from me. Lord, don't make me have to do this. God, I don't wanna have to fulfill this. Find me another way out of this situation. I don't want to go that path. But, he said, if it's your will, that's exactly what I'll do. And we know that as we read that story that heaven responds to Jesus' prayer, but the response is not granting him a different solution. It's not a response that opens up a different door. It's not a response that, that mysteriously or mystically or some magically uh, makes things go away. It puts him in the midst of the strength that he needs to face what he needs to face. You see, life is full of curveballs. They'll always be thrown our way. Life will always be, be filled with disappointments. And yes, life will, will always bring pain. But Jesus taught us to be prepared. He taught us to be prepared for whatever circumstance might come. He said, and, and when those things come, be reminded as you're moving through that, even though you may not see it yet, that ultimately God will grow you through that circumstance. You know, you take a look at the scriptures, you find out of all the challenges that people had in all the different ways, and the words are that you and I, we can also defy Pharaoh. You and I, we can also defy the, or we can also occupy the promised land. You and I, just like David, we can also slew the giant Goliath. You and I, we can also give away all that we have to the poor and still possess something. We can sit in the Roman prison like Paul. We can face imminent death and execution knowing fully well of our trust in God. We can face the darkness of the cross and know that the resurrection of Easter is coming. We can trust God. This table represents that trust. It's a table built upon the foundation of what we call a sacrament, of where God meets the believer and even the unbeliever at a place where through the power of the Holy Spirit, a part of transformation occurs and the real presence of Jesus Christ is in our midst. Some of us today are carrying a big load. We're not sure what to do. Let me invite you to come to the table. Receive the grace of God and to leave here today with renewed trust and renewed strength. Let me invite those who are assisting this 